Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial grade supplies for every industry with same day pickup and next day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done Welcome into the Verge a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues The Verge is part of BSL Radio Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles Baltimore Ravens and the University of Maryland The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome on The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're coming to you live on Monday, October 9th, the off day between games two and three of the ALDS. And right now it is a must-needed rest for the Orioles, who had a rough weekend at Canham Yards, dropping both games to the Texas Rangers. They lost game one by a final of three to two. Kyle Braddis had a good start in that one, but still lasted just four and two thirds innings. The Orioles had several opportunities to climb their way back into this game offensively, but squandered a few late inning chances. Game two, meanwhile, was a much different story as the Rangers got to Orioles starter Grayson Rodriguez before loading the bases against reliever Brian Baker and hitting a grand slam off his replacement, Jacob Webb. The Rangers led 9-2 at that point. While the Orioles would tip their way back into this game, they would still lose by a final of 11-8, outscored 14-10 over the weekend at Canham Yards. They now head down to Globe Life Field in Arlington, needing to win one game just to stay alive and needing to win three straight to advance to the ALCS. So the Orioles right now with their backs against the wall after the weekend at Canham Yards. And, Nick, I'll start with you here. I think this really did not go up to expectation, um, but two kind of wildly different games that we saw. Saturday, it seemed like the Orioles, by and large, did what they have done well for most of this year, put together good at-bats. The pitching staff kept them in the game. 
but they couldn't cash in on the opportunities when they had them. On Sunday, the Rangers got to Grayson Rodriguez early, and while there was more life from the offense, the struggles from the bullpen after Rodriguez was lifted from the game made it impossible for the Orioles to come back. Yeah, the, the that first game on Saturday, it was like, all right, Bradish had a good start. I'm fine with that. I enjoyed that outing from him. Was it great? No, but I think first playoff start at home, I think it was solid. And surprisingly, the pitching did really well that game. The pitching kept this Texas lineup at bay and put this team in a prime position to win that game. Unfortunately, the offense, like you said, didn't show up, except for like Santander had what, like two of the five hits in that first game and made my uh, prediction, my preview episode prediction was looking really good there for game one before he went 0 for 5 in game two, unfortunately. But uh, like, I don't know. I know there's been a lot. Of, there's a ton of discourse right now about you know the off days and these long breaks, right? But honestly, I think that this Orioles team, they're so young. And we saw that first game, like it was the veterans who, what little offense there was, it was the veterans that stepped up. I think that long break and that introduction to playoff baseball, that different atmosphere at Camden Yards, I think that did have an impact on the bats for the first game. But that's what made me kind of hopeful going into Sunday. It's like, all right, if the pitching is going to be this good, or at least somewhat comparable in this series, and it's going to surprise us, what, I mean, it's not really surprising us. We talked about in that preview episode about how the Orioles have the advantage in the rotation and in the bullpen. But if the pitching is going to step up like this in this series, I'm not concerned about the bats being kind of cold in game one. They've adjusted. They're they're back into their routine now. They got that game under their belt. They've got the atmosphere. They, they've done all that, put it all behind them. And in game two, we saw that from the lineup. The young kids, Gunner stepped up in a huge way with his home run. Westberg had a double, right? He was one, just one hit, just one double. Yeah. Um, but he looked confident out there. The young guys stepped up and really overall the offense stepped up in that game. But like, you're going to lose a game. I, that was the way, like, I don't want this team to lose the game. Just an utter collapse by the pitching staff. You walk 11 guys, you're not going to win any baseball game, especially a playoff game. So that was frustrating because the reason I felt so confident going into Sunday was this lineup was going to get all those nerves out of them. They clearly did. Um, and just the pitching kind of crapped the bed. But I guess if to kind of look at it a little bit, I am still optimistic, though, going into this game three, just because like, the pitching can't get any worse <laughs> than this, I feel like. And you know what? This offense, if they're going to keep clicking like this, it, all the pressure's on Texas right now. So watch out for this lineup still. Yeah, this the Saturday game, you know, that's a game we've been winning all year all year long. A competitive close game. We had our chances late, multiple runners on multiple times. Um, you know, hitting into double plays. I think Hayes hit into one, Santander hit into one, and then obviously the missed hit and run signed by Hicks, which looked like Gunner just took off on his own for a second and got thrown out, killing another rally. You know, that's I wasn't too upset after that game because, like Nick mentioned, the pitching was great. I thought Kyle Bradish, he probably had an adrenaline dump just because so much excitement with that home crowd, but he had nine strikeouts over four and two-thirds. He agreed with the decision to pull him, so that tells you that, you know, who's the pitcher? He's George Kirby? No. Um, he knew his limit. He knew he was kind of fading a little bit. And, look, I felt like Brandon Hyde, at least in game one, pulled all the all the right levers at the right times. He brought in Cologne to get out of that inning. And then, you know, Jacob Webb, I feel like he brought him in at the right time. Unfortunately, I think it found out later he was tipping his pitches on his changeup and Josh Young hit one out. D.L. Hall looked amazing 
in his turn, I think we already knew that he was a guy that was going to just get energized and fired up by the, a crowd like that. And turned out to be the case, striking out three over one and two thirds innings. Tyler Wells, he looked great out of the bullpen. Sionel Perez did a great job. So game one, it was just, you know, it was kind of more of the same over those last two weeks of the season where runners in scoring position, just not getting the job done, not finding the big hits. I did think when Anthony Santander hit that home run to make it three to two, I was like, all right, here it goes. We're going to win this game. And unfortunately, we had our shots. We just didn't do it. And yeah, I was at game two. Entirely different story. Um, the crowd was great for the first inning because Grayson got, a, got out of a bases loaded jam, even though I feel like, man, that strike zone was a little tight, <laughs> much different story than the first game. But he couldn't command his fastball, got out of the first inning. And I'm like, all right, he's going to calm down now. Orioles come out just score two runs immediately on offense crowds going wild. And obviously uh, the game ended right there. So no. Um, yeah, that grand slam, that was a dagger, but I think this team has more fight in them than Orioles fans watching because they continue to battle and, you know, they still, they had a chance kind of sort of, they kept chipping away and just ran out of time, but yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. A day off, I think is going to refresh things. You're not going in with momentum, but, yeah, Toronto, or not Toronto, Texas, they they kind of do have a little bit of pressure on them now because the Orioles have nothing to lose. They're, they're expected to lose the series now. They have to win three games in a row. But, you know, whether they lose on tomorrow night or not, they're, it's not going to be for lack of trying. This team has no quit in them. They've shown that all year. So they're going to go out there and play their hardest and, you know, let the other team choke. Let's see. Yeah, it felt like on Sunday it's just – Grayson Rodriguez almost looked over-energized to me. Um, and he's ha he's run into that issue from time to time in the past. Not often, but it does happen. Whereas, like, he really needed to slow down a little bit. And you could tell really not just in the pitching, but a couple of throws he had uh, on seemingly routine plays defending his own position were not good. And that was something that jumped out at me. Is like, you know, ground ball back to the mound. It wasn't right back to the mound, but still a play you expect a pitcher to make. He made a throw that was wide, and Ryan Mountcastle helped him out by being able to stay on the bag to catch the ball. Then there was a ball uh, chopped down the line a little bit after that that he just didn't really get to efficiently. The throw wasn't great. So when I was watching him, it's like there's just too much adrenaline, too much energy. I felt that Braddis on Saturday, really outside of one inning, kept the rain did a good job of keeping the Rangers in check. And in a regular season game, he gets out of the fifth inning. Um, I have no question about that, but you're going to manage with more urgency in the playoffs for better or worse. So Brandon Hyde's going to go to his bullpen there. And he was right both on Saturday and Sunday to go to Danny Colon when he did. Now, what I want to talk about for a minute is his decisions after that. Uh, Bob just touched on Webb, might have been tipping his pitches on Saturday, gave up a home run that proved to be the difference in a one-run ball game. Brian Baker comes in on Sunday, walks the bases loaded, Webb comes in behind him, proceeds to give up a grand slam. For the most part, the Orioles' bullpen did a decent job after that, but two pretty pivotal moments where relievers were not able to come through for you. Is this the right strategy, but the wrong execution, or are there flaws in the strategy there from Brandon Hyde? I hated bringing Brian Baker in, in the third inning to start the third inning. I, 
I can't really complain about too much else that Hyde did. But first of all, I don't even know why Brian Baker was on the roster, to be honest. We didn't get a chance to talk about that in our preview because they didn't release the roster till the morning of the, the first game. But this is a guy who struggled in Norfolk in September. Like, this is a guy who was not performing in AAA down the stretch of the season. And you put him on the playoff roster over a Mike Bauman, uh, a Shinotaro Fujinami, um, Cole Irvin, to give you some length, especially with John Means not being uh, available in ALDS. That was a very curious decision to me, and I think it, it came back to bite him because I don't think that's how you use the guy that's like the pull lever in case of emergency. You don't put him in a 5-2 game. Yeah, it sucks. You're down by three runs early on in a game, but you're very much still in that at that point, especially, you know, I was telling my daughter who I took to the game, I was like, yeah, we're losing, but we'll just keep, you know, keep them here and we'll chip away and hopefully come, you know, come back and win at the end. But you just, you poured, uh, unfortunately with Grayson Rodriguez on the mound, you poured gasoline on a, on a fire and, uh, it got away from him and it was too much to catch up from. I hated Baker there. I would have went to Flaherty or even Gibson or Kramer, whichever one you weren't going to pitch in game three. Maybe you bring them in at that point. This is not a must-win game. Tuesday's a must-win game, but it was a pretty important game. And I felt like he Hyde was just trying to, let's see if I can get through an inning here with Baker and, and then I'll see what happens after that. But that's not the mindset for a playoff game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think just the bigger issue there is Brian Baker being on the roster. Like, I, I know the comment was what well, he pitched well in the AAA championship game or the series against Durham. Like, okay, cool. But like, he didn't pitch well when he got sent down to Norfolk. Other than that, Bauman did. Bauman even had his ups and downs there in the end. But Bauman had, I know wins don't mean anything for a pitcher, but Bauman was what, a 10 win pitcher this year? He was solid this year out of the bullpen. And if anything, like you said, Cole Irvin could have been there. Well, first of all, but I think the, the spot could have went to should have went to either Cole Irvin or Fujinami. Irvin gives you the length, right? And he was really good in September. He had four out in September. He had a 3.18 ERA, nine strikeouts, just one walk in over 11 innings of work. He was solid. I don't see why you wouldn't use him, especially at home. Like That's why you traded for him, right? This lefty to give you length and be hopefully get a little bit more out of him pitching at home at Camden Yards. But I don't know. And the Fujinami, like the thing with that, I know there was the the fun the fun debate. It's kind of the highlight of the night, I think, at our live show uh, between Andy and Danielle having that debate about Fuji. But um, like it's the playoffs. Like go big or go home. Uh, Fuji, yeah, he could crap the bed as well. And it could be bad. He could have had a Brian Baker type outing out there on the mound. He's, he admitted when he came over to Baltimore how nervous he was pitching in front of a crowd. Imagine a playoff crowd with the pressure ramped up even more. But at the same time, Fuji can throw over 100 miles an hour and has really big swing and miss stuff. Like I'd rather take the flyer on that and say, let's see if we got good Fuji tonight. And if you do, he can give you at least one really good inning. Um, so I think the bigger issue is just having Brian Baker on this roster, to be honest. Um, but other than that, yeah, there was maybe just give it to Flaherty, let Flaherty eat those innings. I mean, but uh, I don't know. It was just, it was rough. But I, I will say, like, Zach, made, you made a good point there that there were some bright spots. It wasn't a complete disaster from this pitching staff, especially on Sunday. Like, yeah, Grayson was not good, right? But Dana Colon did his job both nights. Uh, Tyler Wells did his job both nights. Ciano Perez did his job both nights. Perez was a guy who 
guy knows we were doing the the mailbags during the regular season every weekend there's a question like should we trade him should we cut him why is he on this roster uh this why he showed up so there were a lot of bright spots to be fair but i think it just comes down to initial roster construction to be honest yeah i agree we do have a question here from Adi that i want to go to in a moment but if when we recorded our show Friday night, we didn't have the postseason roster, we didn't know that John Means was experiencing elbow soreness and therefore was not going to be on the division series roster. If you had said to me Friday night, John Means is not going to make the roster, I would have thought that that spot was going to Cole Irvin. Not that you would have Irvin start a playoff game, but that it would be the left-hander who could give you length out of the bullpen or, you know, let's say you – you use Cologne in a different spot. Now all of a sudden you need a lefty to get a couple of guys out in a high leverage spot. Irvin can probably do that. It's not what he does naturally, but he can probably do it. So that would have been the logical choice to me. And honestly, if I had to put together a list of pitchers that would have been on the postseason roster ahead of Brian Baker, it would have been Irvin. It would have had Fuzanami. It would have had Ballman. It probably would have had Bruce Zimmerman on there. Yeah. Joey so Crable. <laughs> Joey Crable, yes, yeah, so it's it's just a it's an odd decision to fill a need that I'm not sure exists or that I don't entirely understand because you've already got Jack Flaherty there, you have Fuji who, as Nick says, has that swing and miss stuff. I don't get it, and I hope that if the Orioles do make it out of the division series and onto the ALCS there's some adjustments to that part of the roster because now you're going to be facing a seven game series, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but something I do want to throw out there because we're not going to have a chance to talk about this again for a couple of days. So go on this question from Adi, does keeping Fuji off the roster hurt the Orioles chances of getting another international player like Sota Imanjan or uh, Imanaga, or does it have no impact on that? I would say that it probably has no impact, but I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. I don't think it's going to impact signing a guy like that. I think, you know, it's a very defensible option. I think, especially if Means was healthy, I think it would make a lot more sense. Just quickly going to the Irvin point you were talking about, Zach, I agree. Like, just having Irvin on the roster over Baker would give you so many more options because even if, let's say, the same exact thing played out on Sunday you could go to Dean Kramer in the third or Kyle Gibson or Cole Irvin, any of those three. And then you still have, you can use Irvin the way you were talking about, or you could even start him in game three or four if you needed to. So, yeah, but no, I don't think it's going to have much impact on signing international guys. I think what's going to have a bigger impact on that is John Angelos willing to pay money for one of those international guys. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it all depends like how much these guys are following. Right. And I'm sure the conversations are there. The friendships are there that you know, we're, we're not aware of. And there baseball is a very small world, right? The baseball world is very small, especially internationally. So I feel like it, it is a defensible move to kind of leave him off. Cause like I said, I would have had him on just because it's, it's high, it's high risk, but also super high reward with Fuji. And when you look at his numbers, when he came over to Baltimore, I mean, yeah, he was striking out almost 10 per nine, but he was walking like four and a half guys per nine innings. Right. And yeah, I think if anything, like there was another point that I was going to make and I completely lost it as well, but it was, I think it was a defensive position. I don't think it hurts too much like in the long run. So. Yeah. I, I'm actually looking at Fuji's numbers now and he had a 48, five ERA during his time with the Orioles. For some reason, it felt much higher than that. 
Um, but you look at his numbers and you look at his performance down the stretch and his volatility in the big moments. And I think the Orioles were completely justified in keeping him off the roster. But what we're left sitting here questioning is, did they pick the wrong pitcher to replace Fuji? If that's what Baker is on the roster for, uh, because yeah, the, the numbers were, he was not a shoe and we even talked about that on our show at checker spot before the playoffs started. He was not a high shoe-in at all for high leverage spots. He was not a shoe-in for a roster spot even. Um, but it's just a question of when that spot comes open, how are you going to use it? I do want to go on and kind of focus on the rest of the roster for a moment because I think it's been interesting to see some of the players that have stepped up so far and some of the guys that are a little bit that are off to slower starts than you would like to see. Gunnar Henderson looks great in game two. Santander was very good in game one. Aaron Hicks, while he deservedly drew a lot of scrutiny for missing the hit and run sign in Sunday's game, still got on base twice that day with two walks, hit the ball well on Sunday. Jorge Mateo goes four for four in Sunday's game. On the flip side of that, though, Adley Rutzman comes out with just one hit in two games against the Rangers. Cedric Mullins has yet to record a hit. It feels like there's still some guys that have to step up, and that's even when you take into account that Mullins had not been hitting well down the stretch. Yeah, it's hard to blame Mullins too much. You need him in there no matter what, just because of his glove. Like he's going to patrol center field better than anyone. Like at least he's sitting at the bottom of the lineup. Clearly, I, I, the way he runs sometimes, I don't think he's fully healthy. I think that'll come out after the season is over that he was never fully recovered from those injuries. But you still got to put him out there. Hopefully, he can come around. You can tell he's close. Like I don't know, but you know, when it comes to the other guy we were talking about. Adley Rutzman just Adley, won uh, two games. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's, again, he's going to give you good at-bats. He's been batting right-handed a lot of the times during these two games. I'm not going to worry about Adley. Um, and just real quick on Gunnar Henderson, I love the fact that he didn't throw Hicks under the bus. He kind of just shouldered that and took that question like a pro, even though he's only 22 years old, and he comes out the next game, hits a home run, takes a walk, a bunch of hits off a lefty. I think he had one um, in the first game in the ninth inning before he got thrown out, and then he hit one off of Montgomery, a single up the middle. So love to see that from Gunner. Let's just get these guys some postseason experience, whether it's three games, five games, ten games. You know, We'll see what happens. But how about Jorge Mateo coming out? Let's play him against lefties a little more often. Um, four for four with two doubles yesterday, and Austin Hayes three for four yesterday. So they're coming up big in, on Sunday's game, but just the timing of the hits and the, and all that didn't add up. Yeah, I'm not concerned about Adley either just because he's the catcher. He's got a ton more to worry about on top of everything else as well. And I know he's hit well against lefties, so it's a little surprising to see him struggle as much, but yeah, not worried about Adley um, at all. Hicks, I was ready to come on here, honestly. After that whole incident, I was ready to come on here if he had another bad game. Uh, on Sunday night and just rip into Aaron Hicks because I thought that was a pretty crappy thing of him to do. Um, the whole missing, not missing the signal, it happens, I get it, but the whole like letting Gunner take the fall for it <laughs> and then Brandon Hyde having to like get involved and then now it's all this dirty laundry that's out in the public and it's like, all right, what's going on? But it it kind of sucked to hear that like the veteran on this roster isn't going to like help out the young kid. Um, 
that was frustrating. But then he did come out yesterday and have a phenomenal game, including the three run homers. So, and hopefully like behind the scenes, we don't know obviously what happened behind the scenes in the clubhouse. It, it could all be squared away. They could be good. It could be no harm, no foul, but yeah. Um, luckily Hicks had a, had a good game. Um, yeah. It's Mullins though. Like those at bats, some of those at bats, especially yesterday were they were brutal. Um, maybe he isn't healthy. Like Bob said, I was really hoping that Mullins batting. I think I said on, Friday night when we recorded the preview episode, Mullins batting, especially in the lower part of that bottom three of that order. If he breaks out of that rut that he ended the year on, he takes this lineup. He adds a whole nother dimension to this lineup, uh, but maybe he turns it around in Texas against the righties. And at the same time too, I know that the Fox pregame show is, is dreadful and we could do a whole podcast on comments that these guys made. Good Lord. You should have figured that when it's the booth is what, uh, Derek Jeter, A-Rod, and David Ortiz. Like, uh, um, But the one point that they did make, and I think all three of them agreed on, which I, I did like, I will give them this credit. I think it was Jeter who said, you know, sometimes, especially when, when they were younger, they kind of preferred to go on the road in the playoffs because they felt like kind of took that pressure off. So maybe we'll see that with some of these younger guys. Maybe Mullins gets a reset here out in Texas, playing indoors. I, I don't know, but if Mullins can turn things around, this lineup is they had what eight runs on 14, 15 hits Sunday. If you had Mullins to the mix here, Texas doesn't have the pitching to match up with this lineup. I was at the game. I was at both games over the weekend. So I was spared Fox's television coverage, but I've heard that Derek Jeter's fake Baltimore accent is hilarious and really accurate. <laughs> yeah, that was, he, he had fun with that one. A little too much fun, I think, but yeah, it was just, I, I swear, I think I tweeted it out too. every, they spent an entire segment where all three of them just repeated the same exact thing. They got to loosen up these Orioles, young guys, they got to loosen up. They're too much pressure on them. I mean, I guess maybe game one, it ended up being true, but no more Fox, please put us on ESPN. I don't care. Before we move on, we focus on the rest of the series. We got to give some credit where credit is due. The Rangers played back to back. Very good games. The lineup in particular is showing up. And if the Orioles do go down, in this series, Mitch Garver is going to be a name that lives in infamy in Baltimore sports. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. What has kind of stood out about the Rangers over these first two games? Evan Carter, man, what a performance this postseason against the Rays. He was fantastic. He's been great every game. Uh, every game. It's been two. But he's been great. He takes great at-bats. He take, works walks. He's He's got a good swing. I think he's he's rail thin. I think he's only 21, so plenty of time to grow into that power. I think he's going to be a uh, very good player in the majors for the foreseeable future. So great, great young player for the Rangers there. And obviously Corey Seager, even his outs are loud. There's a reason he'll be second or third in the MVP voting this year. Great player, walks five times against us on Sunday, setting a record. Marcus Simeon, I'm, their lineup up and down. Josh Young has looked incredible. Another great young player who's going to lose out on the rookie of the year to Gunnar Henderson, unfortunately for him. But a great play on in Saturday's game to start the double play against Santander. And then obviously a home run as well. Came up big in that game. He had some big hits Sunday as well. Yeah, the, the Rangers are impressive. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about how bad their bullpen was. And yeah, it did show some flaws on Sunday, but that guy, Cody Bradford, came out and uh, he shoved pretty good. So he was able to at least stem the tide of the Orioles offense for a little bit there to help 
run the clock out on us. So yeah, very impressed. Yeah, if we're gonna, I I don't dislike this Rangers team at all. Like if the Orioles were not in the playoffs, honestly, I would have put my money on Texas to come out. Of, if it was replace Boston or New York with the Orioles in the playoffs this year and everything else the same, I would have been uh, all in on the Rangers to come out of the AL side of things. Like I, I love this lineup. Talked about it Friday night. Um, I don't even think we've seen Adolis Garcia do the damage that he's prepared to do uh, in this series, to be completely honest. And he's been okay. Carter was what in double a, he, he only had a couple of games maybe in triple a before he got the call up. I think it was due to injuries and stuff, but he is a phenomenal player. This lineup is tough. This Orioles lineup, though, is matching them. They're, I think the line, this Orioles lineup is outperforming them in some ways, even. So it's it, that's what I wanted to see in this series. That's why, like, I wasn't, I was going to be upset, like, frustrated, obviously, if the Orioles lost this series. But like losing to the Twins, like, we could have an argument about the Twins, you know, losing a series to them. The Astros, of course, for many different reasons, we can have different argument there. But this Rangers team, give me a day or two, and I look back at this series. I, I wasn't going to be upset if the Orioles lost this series to the Rangers, even if they got swept. I wasn't going to be upset because this Texas team is very good. It is frustrating, though, watching these first two games, how they've lost these two games. That is frustrating. But, yeah, it's all credit to Texas. Still hope it's not over. It, again, all the pressure is on Texas to win that final game now. Orioles have nothing to lose. They could flip the script here. I'm sure we'll talk about Dean Kramer in a second, but Dean can flip the script on this series tomorrow night. And, but yeah, we're going to take yeah. a moment to and shout out Texas credit to them. Sometimes you run into a buzzsaw and obviously the Rangers were pretty cold down the stretch. They limped into the playoffs. They couldn't win the division, but they got hot at the right time. They performed very well against Tampa Bay and they've kept it going so far, especially in a, a short series at best out of five. I, I really would love our chances to come back and win this if it was a best of seven series, but short series like this, you know, a cold start can put you in a hole that it's hard to get out of. Yeah. The only other thing that I'll add about Texas is that if there's one development out of Sunday's game that does leave me with some lingering concerns going into Tuesday is that the Rangers had gotten through these first three games of the playoffs, the two against the Rays in the wild card round in the first game against the Orioles without a lot of production from Marcus Simeon at the top of the order. He hadn't done much up to this point, And then he goes out, and goes two for five with an RBI in Sunday's game. And I'm kind of left questioning, did the Orioles wake a sleeping giant there at the top of the order? Because if they did, uh, he's probably going to stay hot for as long as the Rangers are in the postseason. But that remains to be seen. And we'll shift our focus now to game three, where we do know the probable starters. The probable starters have not been announced yet for game four. But we do know that in game three, Dean Kramer is slated to go up against Nathan Eovaldi. Eovaldi did not face the Orioles this season. Kramer, meanwhile, made one start against the Rangers, which was back on May 27th. In that game, he was charged with the losses. He went six and a third innings, giving up three runs on five hits. Uh, solid outing, but not enough for the Orioles as they were defeated five to three. One thing to note, though, is that Kramer has come through at several points for the Orioles this season. He started both the playoff and American League East division clinching games, and he was excellent for them in the second half. He had an ERA of 3.25 compared to a 4.78 mark in the first half while striking out 65 batters with 30 walks and 72 and two-thirds innings pits. 
When we were on our show Friday night, I said that in a tight spot, I'd rather have Kramer get the start over Kyle Gibson because I feel like Kramer, first of all, comes through for the Orioles in big moments. And secondly, does a little bit better job than Gibson of limiting the damage in a big inning, especially on the front end of his outing. So with that in mind, I do feel like if the Orioles can't have Kyle Bradis on the mound in a must-win game, Dean Kramer's the guy that I would go with. And Nick, I'll start with you here. We know that this is an important start for a pitcher that has come through for the Orioles in a lot of big moments. How do you feel about his chances going up against the Rangers Tuesday night? So at first I was thinking before it was announced it was Kramer, like they're probably going to go Gibson because this is a must-win game. He's the veteran. You went to two rookies with no playoff experience firsthand. It was up and down. You go with the veteran, you know, all right, give me five, six innings. You can pretty much count on that. He's been steady all year. And then we can go for the jugular once once we get this win. But we need this win. But then once it was announced that it was Kramer, I, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I like this. I like it a lot. I mean, Kramer is, when he's on, he could give you six shutout. He could give you six innings, one run allowed, and really save this bullpen. And that's what I was saying earlier. Like, Kramer can maybe not completely flip the script on this series, but he can start to turn the tide in favor of the Orioles a little bit here. If he does have one of those big time outings and go six innings, one run allowed, and this Orioles lineup does what they did on Sunday, and now you knock out uh, uh, who whoever they're throwing. I already forget who they're throwing. Evaldi. Evaldi, yeah. Um, you knock out Evaldi early on and get to this Texas bullpen early. Well, now Baltimore's got the rested bullpen. They've got all this energy. Kramer had a nice start. You flip the script. You go, Texas has a worked bullpen now. And then Baltimore gets to come out now with Gibson, maybe Bradish on short rest versus Texas is throwing who? Like, are they going to go to Haney already again? Are they doing a makeshift bullpen type game in game four? Like, who are they going to throw out in the next game? So I think you can see the, the script start to flip a little bit in the Orioles' favor if Kramer has a big outing. And like, uh, credit shout out to Steve Molesky here. I don't know if you guys saw his tweet right before we came on air, but he said uh, some Dean Kramer stats to add to what Zach had. A 2.63 ERA in his last three starts. Kramer's three and one with a 2.89 ERA in his last ten starts. The Orioles are eight and two in those starts, and on the year, the Orioles are 24 and eight in games that Dean Kramer starts. So he's he's been a winner this year. Yeah, I think I kept going back and forth on, you know, would I prefer Gibson? I thought maybe you put the veteran in and he'll be able to at least not let the moment get to him as much. But then at the same time. I think Kramer's going to be fired up for this game. Obviously, there's a lot going on in Israel right now, so heavy heart, but I feel like maybe that will just light even more of a fire underneath of him to go out there and be super competitive. And, you know, these guys, Bradish, Rodriguez, Kramer, they look like they're going to be around this Orioles team for the at least the beginning to most of this competitive window. Let's get them a postseason experience here and whether win or lose, you can build off that. But even if he comes out, has a rough start, you can then go to Cal Gibson to try to, to stem the tide and, and give you length. So I would have been happy either way, but I am happy for Kramer that he's getting a start. And uh, I do think he's capable of going out there in five, six innings of two runs or less. And hopefully the bats come out and get us a nice early lead and, and we can hold on. And then, you know, the momentum shifts from there. 
Well, that's got to be part of the plan here, I think, is if you can get five, six innings of two-run baseball from Kramer, and you can go to the relievers that have been effective for you to this point to shorten the game. So that's Colon, Wells, Perez, Hall. I would, my ideal, honestly, would be six-plus from Kramer, followed by D.L. Hall to get the ball to Yannir Canel. That would be my ideal on Tuesday night. But, yeah, you you got to find your way to get there. I do think that Kramer has had a knack for coming through for the Orioles in big games this year. And I think the other part of this, too, is that the Rangers have a manager in Bruce Boetze, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day because in the playoffs, he pushed all the right buttons at the right time with his pitching staff. And if you can just somehow force his hand, force him to go the bullpen a little earlier than he would like to on Tuesday night, and this time around, that guy who has to come in and give them length uh, is not successful, unlike Cody Bradford on Sunday, that changes the complexity of the game completely. So I, I think that's really going to be the key for the Orioles on Tuesday. I mean, Evaldi is, Evaldi is a guy that they can get to. They've seen him plenty when he was in Boston. Uh, this organization, the analysts behind the scenes helping these guys prepare, like they know his stuff. And I invested a lot of like real money, a lot of real money in Nathan Evaldi this year, and it paid off. And I thank him for that. But it's time to, to end your year uh, right now against Baltimore. No more winning games for me. Um, you get to him, you change the series. It's one game at a time. You know, winning three straight is going to be tough. But, I mean, the Rangers have done it before in the playoffs, as has been pointed out. And this Orioles team, you saw it. They were down. They were down bad on Sunday, and they fought to the very end. You scored three more in the bottom of the ninth. This Orioles team is scrappy. Ryan O'Hearn is going to be in this lineup. You get that bat in there. Maybe he's going to spark something. I don't know. You just you've got to get Ivaldi early. I know he's he's pitched well this year. He's coming off a great start, a fantastic start against Tampa Bay. But just if Kramer can have his night and this offense clicks and you get Ivaldi out early, I really like this team's chances. And look, Ivaldi's coming back from an injury. He struggled mightily in his last few starts down the stretch after coming back from the IL. I know he had a great game against Tampa Bay, but he was still giving up contact. He was still giving up hits. He was just able to stem stem the tide. That's my saying of the night. Um, he was able to rein it in from there. And, you know, we can definitely get to him. I think I read that his velocity is still not back up to where it was before he was landed on the injured list. So maybe that tick or two down will help, you know, a guy like Adam Fraser be able to come, come in clutch and uh, get a base hit here because you know he'll be in the lineup. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be up to the – Gunner Santander, I still love our lineup. I think we can put runs on the board. So get to him. <laughs> There's only so many times we could say, look, you got to win tomorrow. That's it. You do whatever you got to do to win tomorrow. And then you can start to think, start to see the light at the end of the tunnel of a uh, improbable comeback. But it's like a 10 to 12% chance based on history. So, you know, better than maybe you would expect when you're down 2-0, especially when those two losses come at home. But there's still a chance. Yeah, and to dive into that history a little bit, and I know that, you know, the history only has so much meaning, but the point is to prove that while coming back from a 2-0 deficit is rare, it's not unprecedented in the history of baseball when you were talking about five-game series. Uh, Joe Trezor wrote about this at MLB.com today, so I pulled some numbers out of his piece. Um, in the best of five series over MLB history, teams that have gone up 2-0 have won the series 78 
out of 88 times. So 89% success rate. Teams that have won the first two games on the road in a 2-2-1 format. In other words, the team with home field advantage, so it's games one and two, as well as game five. Teams that have won the first two games on the road in a 2-2-1 format have won 14 out of 16 times, 10 of them doing so in a sweep. Uh, Joe Trezza mentioned his piece that the 2015 Rangers are the most recent team to drop a division series after winning the first two at home. From some research I did on top, that it appears that the other one would be the 2001 Oakland A's, who won back-to-back games at Yankee Stadium before dropping two at the Coliseum and being defeated in Game 5 back in New York. And one thing that I think is important to consider is that you've got to have a break in there somewhere. And the Rangers have not given the Orioles any breaks this series. Um, it could be something as simple as Aroldis Chapman goes out there and has one of those classic Aroldis Chapman meltdowns where he can't find the strike zone. And all of a sudden, a one-run lead for the Rangers turns into a three-run deficit. It could be a costly error somewhere along the way. It, it could be anything, but the Rangers have not given anybody in the playoffs, the Rays or the Orioles, a break yet. And the Orioles, I think, are going to have to find one if they're going to win three straight. Yeah, you need something that's going to put the slightest bit of doubt in the back of their mind, and then hopefully that can widen and and do exactly what you said. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not going to be impossible, but there's got to be a moment tomorrow where it's like, okay, and then you start to believe. And if any team's going to be able to do it, it's going to be this team, this Orioles team that hasn't been swept in 92 series, hasn't you know, ever given up that their longest losing streak of the season was four games. Obviously, that would be too big of a losing streak uh, in the playoffs, but they've fought with their back against the wall plenty of times during the season, and they always come back. They never let a big loss get to them. They come back fresh the next day, so you just got to hope that that continues and, and, and see what happens. And you get, this, you get this game tomorrow, and like I said, you, then you get to go with the veteran in Gibson, right, on Wednesday whatever day it is. I don't know what day it is right now. You get to go to Gibson in game four. All right. You get that. If you get this to game five, I know this is still looking at too, probably too far ahead as well, but you get this to game five back at home in Baltimore. I think this young lineup, it, they, they feed off that energy. Now it's no longer, the nerves are completely gone. They're going to want to come back home. It is one game winner take all where the rest of the, the previous four games are completely irrelevant. Whatever happened there, irrelevant. And I think the Orioles are going to have a massive advantage because you're going to have Cobb Radish back out there on the mound with one mission. Go six innings and take down the Texas Rangers. Gunner is going to be fired up. All of these guys are going to be fired up. That's the game. Now I'm firing myself up. Like I'm how am I going to get tickets to game five when this comes back? Um <laughs> But yeah, it's that's a good point. Find something, just find that smallest crack, and then widen it inning by inning. And it's, uh, I'm tired of talking about it. I want to watch it. I know. I, need- yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It, if if and when we win tomorrow, I'll put it like that. Um, the options open up. You could start Bradish on Wednesday on short rest. Obviously, he's not going to go long, but he can get you off to a good start. Then you got whoever you need, all hands on deck from tomorrow on so you could start bradish on short rest you could start gibson have bradish as an option to come in if needed in that game or you know 
for a potential game five, you could start Grayson again, try to try to repeat that and hope for better results. And then you you could have, uh, I don't know, or you could save Bradish for that game and you could have Grayson come in in relief to help out if needed. So yeah, I mean, once I feel like once all chips are on the table and you can use anyone in any situation, I like the Orioles' chances over the Rangers, but you got to win tomorrow to be able to uh, open up those possibilities. Let's go now and wrap this up with a few listener questions that we got. Um, some of them have to do with the playoffs. Some of them don't, but we'll take all of them here tonight anyways. And uh, Bob, you want to go ahead and read those off for us? Yeah, we had a couple similar questions from a couple patrons. Alex said, and you can tell uh, some fans are a little bit irritated with Brandon Hyde. What year will Buck Britton first manage the Orioles from Alex? And Tony says, if Freddie Gonzalez moves on, does Buck Britton replace him as bench coach? So pretty similar. You know, is Buck Britton the answer over Brandon Hyde? Um, what do you think, Nick? Uh, my answer to what year of Buck Britton first managed the Orioles is, is pretty simple. This is Brandon Hyde's team. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. He's not the guy that was hired just to take the beating during the rebuild, and then they go to the veteran guy, or they're definitely not going to you know, bring up the the unproven uh, manager when this team is finally winning. I think Hyde is certainly the guy um, through thick and thin. Now, as far as Buck Britton goes, I do think next year, and we talked about this, I think, on a recent episode, maybe even at the live show, I think maybe next year, or certainly within the next year or two, if Buck Britton doesn't get poached by another team, which look at the success these minor leaguers are having and these teams as a whole, like all of these guys are threats to getting poached uh, by other organizations when they see the success, especially Buck Britton. Um, if he's still around in this organization next year or a year after at the latest, you find some role for him at the major league level. You get him in that clubhouse at the major league level as more guys start to come up from the farm ease that transition and just adds to that whole atmosphere that they've got down there in Baltimore that we hear so much about from behind the scenes and in the clubhouse. Yeah, I agree with Nick. Brandon Hyde isn't going anywhere. This is his team. This is his team to manage. He's earned that right. Um, and then as for the second part of that question, you don't really need a coach to move on, I think, to find room for Buck Britton on the major league coaching staff. Because you look at how staffs are built now. It's not just the typical manager defense coach. Uh, pitching coach, hitting coach, base coaches. Yeah, the Orioles have two hitting coaches. They were able to add Cody Assey to the staff over the offseason, and they didn't let anybody go uh, from their hitting side. So you can find room for someone on a major league staff if you want to. And if at some point the Orioles feel like there's a role for Buck Britton in the major leagues, they'll find a way to squeeze him in, even if it's not as a manager or the events coach. I was going to bring up that point. Yeah, like the Cody Ashley thing. They got him in that in that clubhouse at the major league level. They'll make up some position if they have to to get him up there. That's that's exactly right. And and I could see it being in replace of Freddie Gonzalez at bench bench coach if he decides to move on or if he gets offered a better job somewhere else. But yeah, he could easily just slide in anywhere and just help the clubhouse out in general. And for Brandon Hyde. He's uh, it's his first postseason too. You know, he's got to go through the bumps and bruises as well. He's learning on the job. I have no problem with what he's done, other than Brian Baker coming in the third. But hey, he shouldn't have been on the roster to even give him that opportunity to make that call. So, you know, I I can't say anything negative negative about Brandon Hyde as much as I've seen it out there in Birdland. Um, Adam would like to know 
I've seen some folks blaming the Orioles' performance on the lack of deadline acquisitions. Which deadline starter acquisitions would you have started over Bradish and or Grayson to date, Zach? I, I knew that this would probably come up after the Orioles dropped two straight. You look at the way that Jordan Montgomery has pitched for the Rangers. Yeah, it would have been nice to have had him. Max Scherzer didn't even make it out of the regular season, so you throw that one out. Um, Dustin Verlander. Sure, it would have been nice to have had him. I don't know if the Orioles were ever actually in on him. I think that at the end of the day, the trade ac- trade deadline acquisitions were only going to go so far when the team won 101 games and won the American League East, despite the big acquisitions as the deadline being Centauro Fujinami and Jack Flaherty. So I, I don't know that another piece would have pushed those guys over, but clearly if you had had a Justin Verlander, or Jordan Montgomery in the fold, they're starting one of those first two games in Baltimore. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of the basis for a much bigger episode after the if the Orioles somehow lose a series. Uh, once the, the, the wounds are healed uh, and time has passed on for some offseason content, because um, I, I have plenty of bigger thoughts about the, a bigger topic that this kind of starts, but... I, I'd say no. I mean, sure. You mentioned Verlander. Sure. I like Verlander. He's very good. He's won many World Series. Uh, obviously, you would go with Justin Verlander there. But I, I think, as, as Bob said, I don't think we stood a chance of getting Justin Verlander. Of course, we could get to acquire anybody we want, but a lot of these older veteran guys, right, they get last say on where they get to go. I don't think Verlander um, was ever coming here to Baltimore, no matter how good the package was. So I, I'd say no, because I want – I like having Bradish and Grayson. I said Friday night in my mind, I know this is probably something that some people don't want to hear right now because the wounds are still fresh and it's O2 right now. And this, you don't know, right? The future is bright in, in Baltimore. We hear that all the time. You see all the prospects down on the farm, especially people listening to this show are more than aware of the talent that's on the farm system, but year to year, right? It is true that you don't know. It's not a guarantee that Baltimore is going to be in this position every single year. So why not go all in when you have this opportunity? I get that, and I agree with that, but I also really like this idea of it's a win-win situation for Bradish and Grayson. If they win, it's literally a win situation. They win games, they get playoff experience. If they lose, they get the playoff experience, and they're going to learn from that. I have no doubt in my mind. I Grace, Even just this year, if the Orioles can continue this season, Grayson gets another opportunity. I have all the faith in the world that Grayson turns it around in that second outing, so I for the future of this franchise, for the health of the future of this franchise, these were the right two guys to go game one and game two. Yeah. I said it in the patron WhatsApp group that it's, you know, we don't even know, but Orioles could have been in on Verlander. They could have had the best offer for him, but it didn't matter because he wanted to go to Houston and that's where he went. He had the no trade clause. So he got to dictate where he went and he's like him and Montgomery are like the only guys who were traded that had any success at all. Other than, Michael Lorenzen, who pitched a no-hitter for the Phillies, oh, and guess what? He's not even on their ALDS roster, not even in the bullpen. So I don't think as much as Britt Giroli wants to uh, blame the lack of aggressiveness at the trade deadline, I don't think you can really say that is the factor. So, yeah, you know, this is a bigger discussion, and and we'll definitely have so much to say about getting ready ready for the offseason and during it. But, yeah, I don't think you can really blame. Uh, you know, I would have liked to seen him got another reliever, I'm glad they got Flaherty, even though he didn't really work out. He still was, as someone pointed out in our Patreon group, which was a uh, 
a really good point. He allowed the team to go to a six man rotation for a while and, and, you know, limit the innings during the regular season so that these guys can pitch in the playoffs, the young guys. So they had to acquire a starting pitcher. They did. Didn't work out exactly as planned, but there weren't really many options at all that would have. So, and our last thing here was a, a great little tweet thread of polls by at Orioles review, a great follow on Twitter. It was brought to our attention by at Orioles stat status one Ben Dorse as better known by us. Um, and I had seen that on Twitter as well and I enjoyed it. So I will, Go ahead and do these three questions and see what we think. Number one, would you trade either Colton Kowser or Heston Kerstad for one of the Mariners' young pitchers? Let's say you get your pick between Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. Nick? Yes. That's uh, obviously going to take a lot more than just a one-for-one -one swap, uh, but I say yeah. Um, and I am I am the Colton Kowser guy. I, I got on the rants. I'll do it again. I'll do it every week if you want me to. I will defend this man with everything I have. But uh, Kerstad, man, that power is beautiful. That lefty power potential. Next year, we'll see what position he plays. If it's more outfield or first base split DH, I don't know. That's off-topic, off-season episode. But long-term, you can see a, a nice fit here with Kerstad and Baltimore. And that's not taking anything away from Kowser. But if I have to choose, I'd probably say Kowser. But yeah, you're going to have to definitely package a few more guys to get uh, one of those pitchers. Yeah, I agree with Nick. I would explore a trade at this rate. I would probably lean towards Calder. The only way that I would put Kerstad in over Calder in a deal right now is if the defense is kind of the tiebreaker, where if you're not sold on Kerstad's outfield defense, you're looking at him more as a first-base DH type. Well, you've got Kobe Mayo and Samuel Basayo in your system still. Whereas if you think Calder can stick in left field, you hold on to him. But either you're going to need to put a lot more in a trade um, to get one of those guys. But yeah, I think that if you want to get the conversation started, that's a good place to go. I would love to get either of those pitchers in the hands of the Orioles. I would do everything in my power to try to figure out another deal of quantity over quality to try to make it happen. But yeah, I think ultimately if, if I had to give up Kowser to make it happen. I, I might do that as much as it would pain me to do so. The next question was, you are Michael Elias and you have to commit to one of these free agent contracts. What's your choice? And the choices are Blake Snell for five years, 115 million, Jordan Montgomery, six years, 110 million, Sonny Gray, three years, 66 million, or Aaron Nola, six years, 140 million. What are you taking, Zach? I'm going to take what I suspect is the least popular choice, but I think also the most practical. And I'm going to go with Sonny Gray. I like that contract. I like the idea of only making a three-year commitment. And the thing that is good about Gray is that he's a successful pitcher who's not relying on being overpowering. So he's probably still got a few good years left in the tank. You don't have to analyze his velocity at every turn because that's not how he gets hitters out. Um, and, you know, he struggled in his only time in the AL East with the Yankees, but that was a much different situation much more high-pressure market, not to mention now Camden Yards plays a little bit more towards pitchers. So I think he'd be successful here, and I would rather maybe pay a little bit higher average annual value for the sort of commitment because my concern is if you go out and you get Aaron Nola, who just finished his age 30 season, and you commit that kind of money to him over six years, 
back into that contract might not be too pretty. And how many opportunities are you going to miss out on? Because the first two years were good. Last four, not so much. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. My f- initial thought was definitely Sonny Gray. I really enjoyed watching Sonny Gray pitch the few times I've caught him this year. I, and I think of those four options, I mean, let's be honest, uh, if the Orioles are going to sign one, it would be the guy that with the least amount of money. Nola is going to probably want to be one of the more coveted free agents. So I'm sure the Orioles are not going to get in a bidding war. But honestly, I I want Nola, if I'm being completely honest. Like the gray makes a ton of sense, and I would love that. But Nola, he's coming off his worst year, arguably, in what the last five or six years. Uh, I think it's fixable. And I think he if I think he can give you two, even if it is just two years. He can give you two unbelievable years uh, if you're able to turn things around a little bit with him. But yeah, it's definitely, that's not a contract we know that the Orioles are ever going to give out though. Yeah. I I want Nola as well. Uh, the only two pitchers that I could say, like I would covet going into this off season would be Sonny Gray on a shorter deal or Aaron Nola on a long-term deal. I just think I've always been a big believer in Nola. You get him out of that outfield defense, out of that, hitter-friendly stadium into Camden Yards with the left field wall and the good defense. I think you can really, and plus just working with Chris Holt in the analytics team, I really feel like Aaron Nola can still be an ace or close to it for a team like the Orioles. And Sonny Gray, yeah, Zach nailed it. I think he's really good. Despite his age, he's very crafty. And, you know, other than when he pitched in New York, he's been successful pretty much everywhere he went, even in Cincinnati, which is another super hitter-friendly ballpark. No way I'm giving... Blake Snell, the money he he's going to need when he only pitches like 130 innings a season for the most part. And Jordan Montgomery, six years, 110 million. I know he's been really solid, but I I just, I can't justify that either. So, yep. Aaron Nola for me as well. And the last question is, okay, same deal. You're Mike Elias and you have to commit to one of these players. Let's say each would require a two-year deal worth 20 to 25 million. They'd be signed as a starter, but could move to the bullpen later if needed. You can't say none of the above, and the three options are Kenta Maeda, Michael Lorenzen, previously mentioned, or Seth Lugo. Nick? Uh, I know the age is a little bit scary, uh, and he just had Tommy John last year, uh, missed 2022 season with Tommy John, but I'd go Kenta Maeda, honestly. I think some of his numbers, you know, he, he gets chases, he gets whiffs, he doesn't walk a ton of batters, he gets good strikeout numbers. Yeah, he does give up hard contact. He's definitely not a ground ball pitcher at all. Um, there are some definite flaws in in the profile, but I don't know. I think his stuff could kind of translate a little bit better to the bullpen. Lugo looked had a great year in San Diego. Um, I think all things considered, and Lorenzen, I could definitely see why you would want to add him. But I'd have to go with Maeda. I think I like. I think he's got a few more years left in the tank there. I would go with Luga. I just think that when you look at his numbers, he looks like a perfect hybrid guy. And, you know, you are looking at someone who's going to be 34 here in a few weeks, but there's not so much mileage on the arm that I'd be particularly concerned about it. And at this rate, Petco Park and Canem Yards are not too dissimilar to each other, at least in terms of home run rate. So if he's pitching well in San Diego, then I feel like that would carry over pretty well with the Orioles. Now, you know, you have to factor in the Padres still have a decent defense, despite the fact that they were not 
a good team this year or they were an underachieving team relative to their expectations. But everything that I look at with Lugo, the FIP, the XFIP, they're right in line with the ERA. Ground ball rate is solid at 45.2%. That's right about, been right around where he's been his entire career. So I feel like this is the kind of pitcher who's going to come in. He's going to get just enough swings and misses, not going to give up a lot of hard contacts, and he's not going to walk anybody. If this was just a one-year deal, I might go with Kenta Maeda. But since it's a guaranteed two-year deal, I'm definitely going with Seth Lugo here. He's proven to be successful out of a bullpen pretty much throughout his entire career. And he almost pitched 150 innings this year for the Padres with a 3.57 ERA. FIP and XFIP are right around the same mark. Almost three war on the season. I feel like he's going to cost more than two years, $25 million. But uh, if you can get him for that, I think that's a really good deal. And someone that you could start games for you or you can put him in the bullpen and he could be a guy that gives you length out of the bullpen and also gets batters out. That was fun though. I want to do kind of want to do more of those. If you know, we didn't have a playoff game tomorrow, but off-season content. Uh, shout out Orioles review. Good stuff. And I do want to throw this out there real quick before we move on. There was a point in time where you know, reading the rumor mill going up to the trade deadline, it looked like Michael Lorenzen was going to be an Oriole. That didn't work out, and his numbers in Philadelphia weren't great. Um, in particular, his strikeouts were down from what they'd been in Detroit. But would either one of you look at him as an option, as possibly a swing man, or he comes in and competes for a back-of-the-rotation spot for the Orioles in camp? I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, you know, if I trust this analytics department, this front office, if they ident identify him as a guy that they can – get more out of, then yeah, why not? But it would have to be a one-year deal, kind of like the Kyle Gibson thing, but and not a guaranteed starting role, uh, starting pitcher role going into the season. But I would not be totally against it. Yeah, I'll take it. I think if this team was obviously interested before in him, then I'd trust their evaluation of him. Um, and if anything with pitching, hopefully this year, I know it's tough to say this right after we just watched this pitching staff do what they did on Sunday, but if there's one thing that I, I think hopefully people get out of this season when they look back later this winter at this year, you know, what they what they do, A, with waiver claims in the bullpen is phenomenal. But what they've been able to do in terms of pitching development and getting more out of guys that they've acquired, maybe Jack Flaherty also isn't like the greatest example there either. But there are plenty of success stories this year of turning guys like Lorenzen type guys um, into really valuable contributors. So I don't see why they couldn't do it again with them. Yeah, I would be open to it. I don't think it's an accident that Lorenzen really struggled after surpassing his career high in innings because uh, this is someone who primarily been a reliever in the past before this year. So I'd really want to be careful about his workload if I was going to start him, but I would absolutely be open to it. And that's all a topic for the offseason, which hopefully is not very close. Hopefully we still got – at least a few more days, maybe a few more weeks of baseball here. But we got to see what the Orioles do first behind Dean Kramer in Game 3 in Texas on Tuesday night. We will be back later this week, date to be determined, to very quickly wrap up whatever happens in Texas and hopefully preview Game 5 in Baltimore on Friday night. In the meantime, you can find us on X, Instagram, and Facebook. And while you're browsing around the Internet, be sure to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to try to figure out what went on with the Ravens on Sunday. 
that actually stung more than the Orioles did, but that's a separate conversation for another day. You can also get Orioles coverage there as well as college sports and more. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join discussion with fellow readers of BSL as well as contributors to the site. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. (laughs) This is the sound of a spectacular meal. Taste the world with the official cruise line of the James Beard Foundation. This is delicious. Mm. Experience small ship cruising that's 180 degrees from ordinary. Learn more at windstarcruises.com. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.